0: Blog Talk
1: Radio. What we need is
0: some sort of revolution. Pain and greed. There's gotta be retribution. Do we all run and hide the very last one What we
1: need. Is- Hello and welcome. This is episode 17 of the State Sports Podcast. This is Sean Kernan, joined as always by Torsten Sporn. And tonight we're going to talk a little bit of basketball and the debate that is has uh, popular among many of sports radio, the NBA MVP
0: uh, talk. Torsten, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty good, pretty good. I got to say, uh, when we uh, when we hatched the idea of the Stain Sports a couple of years ago, I never thought that we'd be doing a feature on basketball, but I think it's probably a step in a good direction.
1: You know, it is you know, the Stain Sports so we have to follow all, cover all the sports. And, and you and I talked a lot of, of soccer, a lot of hockey. I actually covered um, the Coyotes-Ducks game last night where the Ducks clinched the number one seed in the West. Um, and we, we talked plenty of football and, and baseball. Basketball tends to be one of those sports we don't follow quite as closely or as much, but there are certainly some interesting storylines there and uh, definitely worth talking about tonight.
0: Oh, yeah, I agree. And, you know, it kind of uh, – it's been an eye-opening moment for me uh, recently. I was speaking with a friend of mine who is a diehard basketball fan, and uh, he always indulges me when I speak with him about soccer, and I get animated and excited and this and that. And at the very least, he pretends to be excited for me. So I figured the least I could do is pay attention to basketball. And it actually has been a very entertaining season. So uh, I'm ready to go. Uh, we're going we're gonna to be talking about uh, – the candidates for most valuable player uh, this isn't a award that I sort of hate because it never seems to go to the most valuable player it goes to the best player even if they're on you know the worst team but fortunately the candidates that we're going to be discussing today none of them are on a crappy team and uh I would like to start with you tonight Sean who do you have uh in your at least in the finals of the uh, NBA uh, MVP race well I, I think it's the same for that is
1: really the in the finals for just about everybody. And that's going to be the James Harden, Russell Wolfsbrook, Steph Curry, and LeBron James. I think they're the pretty clear top four uh, across the board. I think that that's pretty safe for them to be there. Um, I They really jump out to me as the cream of the crop in terms of MVP candidates. There's uh, there's plenty of other really good players out there, but those are the four that really uh, that really rise
0: to the top. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt about that. And uh, I think the fact that they're on four teams that are, uh, well, three of the four teams are up, are definitely going to the playoffs. And the fourth team is still fighting uh, potentially for their uh, playoff lives. I don't know if that's going to happen or not for Oklahoma City, but it's uh, Yeah, I was just going to be interesting I'm looking
1: through that to see the uh, uh exactly what they need to do. Uh they are one of the few that don't have uh, anything next to them as far as clinched or out. So they're one of the few teams left in the NBA that still have uh are still battling. So uh, that that may actually go to help Russell Westbrook if they do it to get into the playoffs uh down the stretch on his back.
0: It's possible, um, you know. He had the, he had that run where he had something like eight triple doubles in nine games, or something just ridiculously incredible. Um, but you know, I don't think uh, I don't think Westbrook is going to be the guy that gets um, all of these uh, these four guys, with the exception of maybe Steph Curry, but even him, all these four guys have dealt with some sort of adversity and controversy this season. For Westbrook, it's obviously been Kevin Durant being injured for a big chunk of the season. He's not going to make it back. That foot surgery was a big deal. Um, it went well, and he's going to make a full recovery and be ready to resume his superstar status next season. But, you know, uh, Westbrook has a very, very strong supporting cast in Oklahoma City, even though he's injured, or two guys that are injured that are a, a pretty big deal there, Kevin Durant and Serge Ibaka. But even without those guys, they're still Deion Waiters, his Cantor, There are enough players on that team to theoretically go into the playoffs. And when Westbrook was on that historic run, the team was winning some games and the team was losing some games. It was basic individual accomplishment. And that's not to say he was being selfish or anything like that. You know, triple-doubles include assists, so he's obviously sharing the ball. But, you know, the team just wasn't winning. So something wasn't quite going right. And I think that, you know, if you're the most valuable player, that goes along with being on a winning team. I couldn't really argue against it if Westbrook won it. But uh, he wouldn't be my choice. I think that the other three candidates, and I'm not going to tell you yet who my pick for the winner is, but I think that the other three candidates have a little bit more, I guess you could say, leverage on the award based on where their teams are this season.
1: No question. And, guys, it's going to come down to really where the team finishes and also what they have around them. James Harden is will get – a big bonus because, uh, because there is the number, the number two seed, it looks like, in the Western Conference, which is clearly the more talented conference. And, you know, Dwight Howard has only played 40 games, and there is not another anybody else even bordering on star player there. I mean, Josh Smith and Trevor Ariza might be the number two and three best players on the team following Dwight Howard. With Westbrook, he went for, I believe it was 54 tonight, and the team lost. So in those big games, he, his team still loses. Uh, Steph Curry has a guy like Clay Thompson to play next to him uh, They that both put up some solid numbers and can both really score, so Steph Curry doesn't have to carry it all on his back. LeBron James can always have these people – they come in to surround him, uh, great players, and uh, a little bit like the Jordan years, he's been in the conversation so much that you almost get tired of saying, "Yeah, well, LeBron is up for MVP again." So you so you try and find somebody else to give the MVP to in similar way that Malone and and Charles Barkley won it during those Jordan years, where Jordan was the best player on the court every single night he stepped out there, but he didn't win the MVP every year. There was two years that he didn't, and it was because other players had great years, and the writers could finally give it to somebody else, so they did, which is one reason why I know Durant won it last year, but a guy like LeBron James might be, might not get as much credit because he's only in a weaker conference than being in the East, and People want to give it to somebody other than LeBron because LeBron always has always had so much fanfare and so much hype that he is held to a different, a different standard and has to do – he has to be head and shoulders the best player in the NBA to win the MVP right now, I feel. If he is just playing the best player in the NBA, the MVP is going to go to somebody else.
0: Okay. So, uh, well, I agree with you on LeBron. I think that, you know, he, he's, he's ridden this kind of strange wave where – you know, he's a young kid, he comes in with the Cavaliers, he becomes the best player in the NBA. He gets a lot of negative, uh, I guess, sentiment coming from fans and pundits alike, uh, taking his talents to South Beach to steal the line from that ill-advised press conference. But, you know, he wins the titles back in uh, in Miami. He kind of rehabilitates his image a little bit. He comes across as a much more sympathetic character, um, sort of in a way admits that the press conference wasn't a great idea to announce that he was going there and then comes back home to Cleveland. But when somebody tells you or basically anoints you as the best player for a decade or longer, you know, it, it stops becoming exciting. You know, when there's, when there's new blood, it becomes exciting. You know, Steph Curry is comparatively new blood. Russ Westbrook is comparatively new blood, the same way Kevin Durant was last year. You know, it's uh, it, you have to always continually outdo yourself. Um, I would argue that this is possibly one of LeBron's best seasons, considering it, it's his first year back in Cleveland. It's his first year with Kevin Love. It's his first year with Kyrie Irving. You know, they, they picked up midseason J.R. Smith and Iman Shumpert. Um, they got a 75-year-old Sean Marion, who is, you know, oddly still productive. You know, he's they, they got a coach with very little NBA experience. It's, you know, he's had to do kind of a lot. Um, He's still not the guy that would get my vote. But, uh, you know, I kind of agree with what you're saying, that he hasn't completely played out of his skin numbers-wise to, you know, to distance himself from the other competition.
1: I agree. And and let's go ahead and start to unveil kind of who we have as, as, as our MVP I'm going to go ahead and rank them from four up to one, and then after we finish doing that, we'll talk to some guys who are going to be on the perimeter who deserve the votes but aren't really in the conversation for truly being the MVP. For me, the fourth in this list is actually Russell Westbrook. Uh, I believe that, that as much as he has done, I think that the fact that they may not make the playoffs is going to hurt him big. If they do get into the playoffs, then he might be able to move up on some of those, but he'd be my number four guy. I know he's gotten a ton of triple-doubles, but this is a point guard who's long been like, criticized for shooting too much. All of a sudden, he gets he has a chance to take those shots and, and make those plays, and he's putting up these fantastic numbers, but they're not translating to win. When the people on his team are arguably have more talent on a team, even with Kevin Durant and Sergio Baca out, and James Harden does with Dwight Howard out, you you still argue that the uh, Thunder are still a more talented team, and yet they're uh, fighting for the eighth spot in, in the West. I have him coming in in, last, in, the, in fourth place for me. Uh, in third place is a guy that might be one of the guys I enjoy watching play most and, and a team I like to watch most, not Steph Curry. You know, he puts up, uh, you know, he's had 24 points a game. He's got almost eight assists a game. He has the of the five. I believe it's of the five uh, most three pointers made in a season. He's got three of them. The guy just drains threes all over the place. He's a ton of fun to watch. But he's on a very good, very sneaky good team, and a team I can actually see going deep into the playoffs. I worry for them about their defenses. They're uh, they're. Uh, I- I'm just not sure if they have. If they have an off-shooting night, they could really hurt them. So that it could be a concern come playoff time. We're talking the MVP, and the fact that he does have a guy like Clay Thompson and Draymond Green and a Harrison Barnes coming off the bench, uh, it, it just it could really hurt his MVP candidacy. So that comes down to James Harden and LeBron James. And for me, I'm just going to go James Harden because, they, like I said, they're the number two team in, in the West. He has been putting up fantastic numbers. He is carrying that team on his back. And LeBron James, while he's having arguably, like you said, one of his best seasons, he's got a ton of talent on that team. And uh, I believe Dan Patrick show is what I heard. it saying you could argue LeBron James for coach of the year, and that's probably the case. He probably has as much say on that team as the actual head coach much the way that... You could say Peyton Manning is the best offensive coordinator in football. LeBron James might be the best coach in basketball right now, based on what he's done there. But I give my MVP to James Harden.
0: Well, before I just uh, jump out and say that I agree with you, well, okay, I'm just going to say it. I, I agree with you. James Harden, for me, uh, is the most valuable player as well. But to follow suit with the way you uh, laid it out, um, I have the same order as you do, except with Steph Curry at fourth and Russ Westbrook as the third. Um, and this is in no way, shape, or form a slight on Steph Curry. I mean, I'm basically calling him the fourth best player in the NBA. Um, so it can't possibly be taken as a slight. But I think that, you know, a huge amount of that team's success, and you had said that they might struggle if they have an off-shooting night. Um I am, you know, they might. That's definitely a possibility. But I think that Steve Kerr has got that team to buy into a system. Everybody plays defense. Everybody hustles. Everybody, you know, crashes the boards and they rotate and they, you know, they pick up the pick and roll. They just, you know, it, it's so exciting to watch that team just play. And, you know, sometimes things go wrong. You know, like the, the Bulls, when they had Jordan and Pippen and Grant, and Rodman and like you know that team should never really have lost a game, but you know they did from time to time. And those are the days we didn't rest your starters. You didn't say, oh, you know this would be his fourth game this week. He's fatigued, so we're going to rest him for shin splints or something. That didn't happen in those days, you know. And uh, but it happens now. And so yeah, sure anybody can lose uh, a game, you know, if they have enough shooting night. But when it comes time for playoffs, I don't see anybody in the Western Conference winning a best of seven series with Golden State. But I think it has to do as much with Steph Curry being great, it has to do with Clay Thompson being a a knockout three-point shooter as well as Curry. I think it has to do with the depth on the floor. Like you said, there's Draymond Green. You also have Harrison Barnes and David Lee and Andrew Bogut. And a guy that doesn't get a lot of attention, but probably should, is Andre Iguodala, because he was a star a couple of years ago with the 76ers. You know, it, it's, not, it's not like that. he's uh, just an afterthought. This is a guy that used to be a real legitimate star player, scoring 20 points a game and doing highlight reel dunks and everything like that. He's kind of accepted a complimentary role there, but he's going to play a significant part in the playoffs. And I just don't think that Steph Curry would be able to do what James Harden has done had the injury situation been the same there. You know, you lose your number two in, in Dwight Howard. Um, number, you know, so the third-place guy would be uh, Russ Westbrook. All the reasons you said, the individual accomplishments, not translating the team wins. He's played spectacularly, but for whatever reason, whether it's uh, you know bad coaching or bad luck or lack of defense, it hasn't worked out there. And they're fighting for a playoff spot. I'm sure they would have it if Kevin Durant was healthy. Um, and also, like you said, LeBron James uh, possibly winning Coach of the Year as being you know a, on the floor as far as an on the floor leader. I don't know, I, and for whatever reason, I'm spacing at the moment on the coach's name. I think it's David Blatt or something like that in, uh, yes, in Cleveland. Is. Yeah, and uh, it's. I actually think that guy, that guy's done a terrific job because uh, it was a, wherever he was coaching, Maccabi Tel Aviv or something like that in Israel. Um, I don't remember if that's exactly the team, but if it was Maccabi, it doesn't matter. Like he, he led them to European championships and so on and so forth. The guy has a pretty good basketball mind but this is the first time he's ever had to deal with a confluence of egos like he has in Cleveland. And that's not to say that there aren't egos in other cities, but, you know, we're talking about superstar players. You know, it's uh, beyond LeBron, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Love, J.R. Smith. These are guys that, you know, they want to get theirs, but he sort of tied that roster in. I think he got some help from LeBron, which is why your uh, half-joking comment of LeBron winning coach of the year has some value. But nobody's done what James Harden has, and nobody's dealt – with what James Harden has, with Dwight Howard, who I watched play in Los Angeles for uh, a season, and it was kind of a it was kind of a dumpster fire. You know, you could see the talent was there, the the natural athletic ability, but the motivation is, you know, you wonder sometimes. He appears to be a little bit more motivated in Houston, but you know uh, that roster is not as deep as some of the other rosters. I you know Trevor Ariza, he's a decent player. He's a pretty good perimeter defender. Josh Smith has always put up some halfway decent numbers as far as fantasy basketball goes, but he's always been a guy that they've said underperformed and been a little bit selfish and sort of, you know, a negative influence in the locker room. And James Harden has sort of pretty much just done all of the heavy lifting for Houston. And, uh, that's why he is like, I'm, I'm sure this coincides with what you think, but I'm, that's why he would get my MVP. And as far as those four guys, um, he he would win and it's not super close. It's fairly close but it's not neck and neck.
1: Yeah, I think it's obviously we're dedicating essentially half hour to discussing it and it it's worth this time if not more because it is an interesting discussion and it is good to see that there's four guys in the NBA that have a true case for the MVP. That's that's good for the MVP to have, for the NBA to have that Especially in a year when you have a Galley like Kevin Durant out, and there's still four guys, including one of his teammates and one of his former teammates, battling to for that MVP and have a legit claim for it. Now, there's some guys that we obviously haven't talked about yet that are just on the perimeter that aren't that. they're like I was saying, there's a clear cut four guys on there. To me, it is painfully close to being a clear cut five guys that should be in the discussion. And that fifth guy to me is Anthony Davis of the New Orleans Pelicans. The guy is fantastic defensively. He is uh, one of the top scorers in the NBA. He can block, he rebounds, you know, he averages uh, almost 25 points a game. He has more than 10 rebounds a game. He you know blocks three shots. He has, and after the complete game, he is a rare big man who can help on all, side, on all parts of the floor that we don't see all that much in the game today. He is a little bit of a throwback in that aspect of he's somebody that can block shots, has great feet. He's he kind of throws back to my childhood of David Robinson, Elijah One, well, Patrick Ewing, Shaq's the, the the big man that can, that can play. Under the basket, the impact on both sides of the floor, he's one of those guys. And, you know, he, to me, was very close to making that the list of guys that I really wanted to consider for MVP. So he's just outside of it, and we give my number five vote. How about you?
0: Well, obviously, Anthony Davis is a spectacular player, and he would be my preseason pick for the 2016 Most Valuable Player Award in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um I just don't think his greatness has been as consistent this season as the other four guys. Don't get me wrong. If I was starting an NBA team today, and I'll be the first person to admit, I'm not what you would call a basketball expert, but well, uh, I do know how the game works. Yeah. I, I mean, he'd be the guy I'd start a team with. Not Chris Paul, not Blake Griffin, not LeBron James, not James Harden, not Russ Westbrook. It would be Anthony Davis. I would take him, and that's why I would build my franchise around because you know you're going to get probably a dozen years of excellence followed by five more years of pretty doggone good. And then, you know, maybe there's a few hanging on years at the end. But for me, uh, the dark horses that are not going to get any votes, but really ought to be considered. Um, the first guy, I'm going to keep this very short, but the first guy is Pau Gasol on the Chicago Bulls. I loved having him on the Lakers uh, a few year, for a few years. Uh, he's... You know, he was always a, a team player. He kind of let Kobe do his thing. Never really bitched about it in the media. But what he's done in Chicago this season is nothing short of incredible. You know, the the eighteen and a half points, the twelve rebounds, the two blocks a game. He's defending, and he's you know he's kind of done what the what Russell Westbrook has done as far as losing a star teammate, and uh, what James Harden has done in losing a star teammate to injury. Because Derrick Rose has been a non-factor this season. And, you know, Chicago's a playoff team. And you could say, you know, there's guys like Joachim Noah there that are, uh, you know, they're, they're good players. But, you know, Paul Gasol has turned in what, in my opinion, could be an MVP season if people were slightly less focused on the points per game. If they just looked at the big picture a little bit more. And another guy who's not going to get any votes but is deserving of mention is as Kyle Lowry on Toronto because that's another playoff team. That's a division championship team there. And if you look at them, you know, other than DeMar DeRozan, who's, you know, kind of a gunner and scores a lot of points, but he only shoots about 40% from the field. They don't have anybody that jumps off the sheet until you look at, you know, his 18 points and seven assists and five rebounds. You know, he's he's kind of playing that complete game slightly to a lesser extent than Russ Westbrook and James Harden are, but he's doing it with a weaker supporting cast and, uh, you know, if we're talking about true value instead of just skill and points, then Lowry is definitely in the discussion, if you ask me.
1: Yeah, and there's one other guy that jumps out to me, and you could argue in the age of, of tanking for more ping-pong balls in the lottery, you can argue whether this makes him that the a most valuable player candidate or least valuable player candidate, because without Cousins of, Sacramento would be possibly the worst team in the NBA. He actually is the only player in the NBA to be ranked in the top five in both points and rebounds per game. That on a team that went is 27 and 53, you know, that, that they're, they're going to be kind of in the middle of that lottery. Without him, they would be battling the Minnesotas, the New Yorks, the Philadelphias, for that top spot, so he to me he is one of those guys like an A. Rod in Texas, a last place team, but an MVP worthy vote. He might be able he would he deserves to be slipped onto a couple of ballots just on pure numbers alone. But like I said, in this day and age of, of tanking, you might actually consider him the least valuable player for that team because he's only hurting their chances of getting more quality players.
0: No, well, I wouldn't say that because I, I hate the whole notion of tanking. I really, really do. And I don't think it really exists that much because on these really crappy teams that may win 18, 19 games, there are still guys playing for NBA jobs the next year. And the same thing happens in other sports, you know, whether it's ice hockey or whether it's football and, you know, that Indianapolis was accused of doing the suck for luck thing a few years back. But, you know, and while, that, while it's a reality and it has to be talked about, you know, DeMarcus Cousins is a wonderful player, but, you know, I, I think these guys, the rest of the guys, they're playing for NBA jobs, and I really don't think that there's a lot of tanking going on. Um, but, yeah, uh, if, as far as the award was called best player, um, he deserves to be in the discussion. I don't think he's a great defender. And I don't think he's a good passer of the ball. But he does crash the boards, and he does score a lot of points, and uh, he will pick up a few block shots here and there just kind of by virtue of being humongous. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's my take on Cousins.
1: Now, before we make the transition in the last uh, couple of minutes to another topic, I do want to quickly correct one of the things I said, I and mean, it's just the nature of the NBA right now. I was talking about the Rockets being in second place in the West. The way the West is going right now, I looked I looked over. They're now sixth in the West, but I believe it's about a game and a half separates them from second or, or even less. So, by the way, who knows what they'll actually be. The somewhere between second and sixth, it, 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 given – depending on what happens in these last final couple of games. Uh, but with that, in the last couple of minutes we have, I want to hear your take after I give my couple two cents on, on this topic about the Masters and Jordan Spieth winning the Masters, running away, uh, tying uh, Tiger Woods for the lowest 72-hole uh, mark at minus 18. He, I believe, he was minus
0: 19
1: before the the 18th the 18th hole on Sunday, where he bogeyed to bring it to minus 18. Did this dominant run make it more interesting or more likely to, for you to watch, or less likely? Now, in the days of, t- of Tiger, him being dominant for me, I was a must watch at all times because what was he going to do that we've never seen before to me, Jordan Speed starting to run away with it in the masters actually made it less interesting to me because there's nothing on the, on the golf course that he can do that I didn't see Tiger Woods doing in his prime. And maybe I'm spoiled of I him. Mean, you know, I grew up in the Michael Jordan Tiger Woods generation, but I actually was less interested in the Masters despite such a phenomenal showing because I, I would rather have a close final round uh, than a great individual outing because there isn't anything new happening like there was in Tiger Woods' there. Was this uh, a Masters that you found a must-watch, or was it one that was not as intriguing as one in the past few
0: Dude, okay, so let me let me make a quick analogy. If I don't have a dog in the fight, um, let's say uh, the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs, because my dog, the Kings. Um, if you read thestainsports.com, you'll know they are my dog, and they got eliminated. So, by the time it gets to be the Stanley Cup Finals, I'm hoping for Game Seven and overtime. All right, and that's kind of the way I look at the Masters too. I don't. I'm not a huge. Uh, I, first of all, I love golf. I love playing it. I love the science involved and the different shots that the players make. As far as a spectator sport, I really only watch the final round of the big tournaments. I watched a bit today, and uh, it had nothing to do with uh, with Jordan Spieth. Love the guy. Um, everything I've read about him, uh, you know the way he is with his sister, and you know just how well spoken he is, and just down to earth and everything like that. He's kind of like the Tiger Woods. Of today, but with personality, Cause if you remember when Tiger Woods was in his early twenties, he was kind of a robot um to me, he's more of a sympathetic character right now than he is you know than he was fifteen years ago um, i don't you know I didn't consider it to be a must watch um I was kind of wondering if he was going to i figured he was gonna maintain his lead. I figured he was gonna close it out and win I thought it might be a little bit closer, but for me. Uh, The must-watch part of it, if there was a must-watch, was that Phil Mickelson was uh, right there in second place. And, you you know, you never really know in the back nine in the final round of of the Masters, never never mind a major championship, but of the Masters, you know, let's say Phil hits a great tee shot on par three and ends up with a three-foot tap in for birdie. And, you know, Speed puts one in the bunker. There could be a two shot switch and suddenly instead of a five shot lead or a four shot lead, it's a two or three shot lead. You know, the arms start getting a little tighter on the seventeenth hole and it really could have been, you know, a close finish. It didn't turn out that way. It turned out that Speed kept his nerve and basically um you know had a had a tap in for the last hole. He could have, you know, taken a six iron and just kind of played shot after shot and done what uh Jean Veldt should have done at the British Open ten years ago however long that was. But uh no, it wasn't a must watch but I kind of like the fact that, you know, there's an, there's a kid in the game who's uh sympathetic, people like him, played great, earned his championship, and uh you know, I hope that he doesn't succumb to the pressure of being, you know, now called the future US golfer or whatever. You know, there's plenty of great golfers out there right now. There's Rory who everybody's you know, everybody's Sentimental pick for number one in the world. Gotta love Bubba Watson. There's Oosthuizen, Osthausen from South Africa. Kevin, uh, Ricky Fowlers. There's a lot of great golfers out there. And, you know, nobody's going to go on a run where they win seven Masters in a row or seven majors in a row. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, I enjoyed watching Spieth win the championship today. That's – I enjoyed it. I'll just leave it at that.
1: All right. Well, with that, we'll close up. Thank you. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. And check us out at thestandsports.com. Thank you all for listening.
0: Thank you, everybody. Have a great night.